Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Audrey Simons and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of To The Point Podcast. I'm Rachel Lyon, here with my new co-host, Audra Simons. Audra, I am so excited you're joining the podcast. How awesome is this? It's fantastic. Previously, I got to be a guest, but now I get to be a co-host. Fabulous. That's right. Every week, a dose of Rachel and Audra. I can't think of a better way to spend time. It'll make people's day, (laughs) guaranteed. And I am so excited for your first guest on the show. We are going to hit on my favorite topic. I don't think everybody's favorite topic right now. You just can't escape it. So I'd, I'd love to welcome to the podcast, Nick Chelon. He is the founder of Ask Sage, which brings ChatGPT to government teams. And he also has the great distinction of being the first U.S. Air Force Chief Software Officer. Nick, welcome. Thanks for having me. Very excited. This is, I mean, you're right in, I would say, the the kind of apex. Is that the right place to say of, of this gender of AI discussion right now? I mean, it's everyone's really trying to wrap their arms around it, trying to understand it. And it's it's kind of like this thing where you're only limited by your imagination in terms of what you want to do with it. And, you know, you hear a lot of people like um, Sam Altman, who uh, he's the CEO and founder of ChatGPT, testifying in the Senate hearing about regulations around artificial intelligence and regulatory entities focused on AI. I mean, is is that even possible with something like this? How do we even get there? I don't think it's possible. I, I think, you know, what's interesting is these companies, you know, telling people we should regulate this market nowadays are the same companies that grew so fast and made billions, you know, uh, and raised a lot of money uh, to get where they are now, which funny enough, now they are able to uh, handle that kind of regulation and, and, you know, all the paperwork that would be tied to complying <laughs> with those, effectively limiting, you know, w- which company uh, can come and compete. So it's really just a, a great tool for these companies to uh, prevent uh, new new uh, startups to come and uh, compete. Uh, and quite honestly, you know, what scares me the most is uh, the fact that we forget that China is uh, rapidly embracing their uh, equivalent, you know, with Beidou. Uh, they have a GPT uh, stack that they brought and gave access to the uh, Chinese Communist Party to uh, GPT across all uh, fabric, uh, unclassified, secret, and top secret, and so that's a massive enabler for the CCP. And you know, calling on us to to slow down or pause, which you know, you never put a genie back in the bottle, anyways. It's complete nonsense. <laughs> but even if you could, you know, China would would uh, uh, say, "Oh yes, we'll, we'll slow down," and then uh, <laughs> keep pressing and ignoring the the yeah. same promise they made uh, for many other uh, fields, and so. Uh, the nation that will control AI will control the world, and there's no doubt about it. And so it will be uh, certainly criminal uh, to uh, prevent the the U.S. and, and Europe to, to compete and uh, uh, be the lead uh, and the leader they need to be in AI. Right. So, so, Nick, I'm sure you've seen in the news that um, the British Prime Minister, Richie Sunak, has actually um, gone over to Washington and he wants to push the UK as a global center for artificial intelligence regulation, trying to insist that we've made headway in this kind of area. But considering the fact AI doesn't respect national borders, 
So how can Britain really lead on global safety? Well, I, you know, it's, it's always interesting to use the word leading uh, in, the, in the same sentence as regulation. <laughs> you know, I think the nation <laughs> that leads in, in regulation is, is, is leading in, in everything else but innovation, you know. Um, and so effectively, it would be a guarantee to ensure that uh, all AI companies never do business with uh, the UK and certainly would never put their headquarters in such a, a nation that would effectively be so focused on compliance and uh, bureaucracy uh, and, and forgetting the massive impediment this creates in innovation. And so I think it's all about balancing ethics and innovation and compliance and security. And I'm not saying we should ignore, you know, ethics and compliance. I, I think no one in the world, you know, wants to create any kind of organizations and say that their top priority is to be compliant or be uh, regulated, right? And and the minute companies start to call for regulations, you know there is something wrong, right? And usually it's because either they know they can take it and they have enough uh, revenue and, and people to handle uh, the massive barrier to entry that is regulation, or they just, um, you know, effectively are trying to prevent uh, new companies to come and compete like we talked about. And so, you know, for, for a nation to to want to be, instead of saying, oh, we want to be the, the nation leading in AI, <laughs> he's, he's saying he wants to be the nation leading in AI yeah. regulations. That's typical bureaucrat that has never run a business before in, in their life, right? <laughs> That's always interesting to me. The British have been very good about that sort of thing for many years. <laughs> well, you know, we've seen it, we've seen it with GDPR and Europe. You know, I think there's some good that came out of it, but there's also a massive barrier to entry, and a lot of companies deciding not to do business uh, with those nations. And I think the impact is tangible. Right. I'd agree. Yeah. I'd agree. So let's yeah. talk about the more interesting kind of things around this. Let's get beyond regulation. Um, what have been some of the biggest developments in AI over the past few years that have really kind of caught your attention and drove you in this direction? And what kind of evolution do you actually expect to see in the short and midterm? Well, you know, there's a lot of pretty amazing things happening in AI. I mean, obviously, everybody has heard of uh, ChatGPT, and it's it's really, I think, been yeah. the eye-opening moment for a lot of people that had never had a chance to really directly engage with AI. I think it's often seen as this magical tool behind the scene. I mean, you look at Google, you look at all these companies, they've been using AI for many years. Now, you know, what's different with GPT is you're putting AI into the hands of uh, everybody at a cost that's negligible. You know, when you compare right. with the disruption created by uh, robotics in automotive, you know, for example, uh, you know, the cost of th this kind of machinery was tremendous. And so the barrier... Uh, was pretty high in adoption, right. but yet it was able to completely disrupt uh, the entire uh, automotive industry. In this use case here with GPT, obviously, uh, with the cost being so low, uh, often free or you know in the twenty bucks range, you can completely disrupt the entire world. And honestly, I think the impact right. on people uh, that are putting their head in the sand, hoping for the best, that is going to go away. Uh, particularly when people think of it as as a gimmick or like uh, some uh, you know uh, something that's going to fade away with time, I think that's very short sighted. I think it's going to completely disrupt a lot of jobs, particularly when it comes to non blue collar jobs. I can tell you all the people that pushed all this anti uh, blue collar job uh, rhetoric nonsense are going to uh, be pretty surprised when this is going to become probably the the safest way to. Um, 
be able to to live and and have have revenue that's going to last beyond the the twenty year cycle. I think it's uh it's you know in development software develop developers in uh in acquisition in you know legal lawyers you know marketing you know PR and and so on. I think it's going to drastically disrupt everything we know. Mm-hmm. Uh, turning you know one person into ten on average in software development. Um, mm-hmm. When it comes to acquisition and, and you know bidding on contracts and stuff, we've seen as much as one into sixteen, uh, which is mind-boggling. And you know, then the question is: Are we going to do sixteen times more work, or are we going to you know l- you know reduce the workforce? And I, I think it's going to depend, right? I think it's going to be a mix of both. But for sure, the impact is going to be tremendous. So, what do you see futures beyond the impact on jobs? What about education? Yeah, you know, I think it's always interesting how people react to innovation. You know, I think it's been particularly uh, crazy to see how people reacted to ChatGPT um, in a negative way, you know, because every innovation comes with good stuff and bad stuff. And for the first time, really, we've seen, I don't know if it's just the media that's so biased because they're afraid of being irrelevant, which they probably already are anyways, but you know, what you end up seeing is all this negative press, right? And diminishing the the, the potential, right? You know, that's really criminal. Uh, you know, I think when you take a step back, there's a lot of issues, you know, hallucinations and mistakes and, you know, misinformation and so, so on right. and, and lack of transparency and, and whatever else. But, but, you know, when you look at the problem, it's still 95% good and the 5% mm-hmm. can be solved. So, so, you know, just just like disc- discarding or, or ignoring, you know, this innovation just because of the fear of the disruption that comes with it is only gu- guarantee that it's going to grow faster and and be more painful. Exactly. So it's it's very short sighted. And you know, I, I can tell you in education specifically, you know, when you see people overreacting and starting to ban it all over the place, of course, people are going to find a way to go around the bans anyway. But you know, when you look at uh, something as simple as you know the calculator. We had the similar reaction, right? People are like, well, you know, right. people are going to forget how to do basic math and we're going to become dumber and dumber, which we probably are. The fact is, you know, people get complacent and uh, stop basics, you know, stop learning the, the basics nowadays. But you've seen it across everything, you know, not just math, right? right? Um, because of technology. But that's not a reason to ignore it. I mean, some people can learn basic math and still use a calculator. Right. And so, you know, right. I think it's all about how we end up using it. And so banning stuff is social sided instead of saying, hey, let's take a step back and see how we should use it. And in what instance right. does it bring value in one, what instance it's it's a concern. But the fact is, it's not going to go away, go away anyway. So it's uh, it's pretty exactly. mind boggling to see all these negative, you know, uh, f- all the focus on the negative aspect and, and no one talking about the good stuff. Yeah, a lot of doom and gloom is what you keep hearing, you know, right. like Terminator. It's what sells, I life. guess, in the press. But, you know, and then you see all this bias, you know, where they write stuff, you know, pretty much telling people they're wasting their time to try to use it. But then they use it themselves for all their stuff. It's, it's, very, it's very fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely, a, I think, a good education opportunity for a lot of people out there, right? I mean, it's kind of like when they're trying to understand cybersecurity and and other things, right? It, like anything else, it's how do you use it responsibly? Um, oh, yeah. You know, and, you know, and, I, I created my first company back in France. I was 15. I'm 38 now. I founded 13 companies. I was the first, you know, chief software officer for the Air Force and Space Force. You know, we had 100,000 people, uh, 60 billion of funding. Um, 
Um, I built 187 products that I sold to 45, 14, 500. Uh, I, and I'm going to say something here that might be mind boggling, but I've yet to see anything disrupt my life as much as GPT has done. Mm -hmm. And the way I do my day to day work is completely and entirely different. I don't Google, I don't go on Stack Overflow. I'm both a cyber guy, a software developer and a, an entrepreneur. Uh, I have my YouTube channel, you know, started using it just to, uh, write my video scripts. I taught it my, my existing 55 plus, you know, videos. And so now I started, you know, with that and pretty much I was a pretty face reading the scripts and, uh, you know, then I went beyond the, the, the gimmicks uh, of that and really started to see the value it could bring to the, to the government. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's really mind boggling how we can automate uh, a day of work. Um, I don't, I don't even Google anymore. I mean, if you had told me, you know, seven months ago that I would not Google, I would have told you you're crazy. I mean, it's just never going to happen. Mm -hmm. Right. And yet this is where we are. And, and so I think people that dismiss it and don't take a look at how to re reinvent themselves and benefit from that are going to be the one paying the, the biggest price, you know, uh, at the end of the day. So that, that's, you know, that's certainly something I want to raise awareness because I think there's going to be plenty of new opportunities. The question is going to be, is it going to be the same people or not getting those new jobs or is right. it going to be a whole new wave mm -hmm. of, you know, different, uh, different, uh, workforce, you know, so. So Nick, I just wanted to ask in, in terms of fact checking, what you, you're feeding GPT and kind of training it effectively to learn maybe how you like to speak or, or the subject matter that you like to go through or those sorts of things. In terms of the fact-checking side of things, because um, I was talking to someone and I said, well, we need to have a policy around AI tools within the business because if we're using them, because we do have analytics tools, we've had analytics tools for years, um, we need to approve how they're being used. And this person went on to ChatGBT and they went, create security policy, like acceptable use for AI. And it just generates this policy. And they said, well, you know, I was like, they said they hadn't really read it, but they figure it should be good enough. <laughs> and so there's a whole little bit of fact checking. And this was, it was a little bit of a joke. So at the time, this was yeah. not our legal team. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting, but, right? But because it's, it's, it's this... Uh, you know, when you take a step back and I look at, you know, Assage and how we created it, right? You look at the logo of Assage, it was created by the bot. You look at uh, the UI, 90% created by the bot, 90% of the backend, also all the DevSecOps, the ACD pipeline stuff created by the bot, 100%. All the legal stuff was created by the bot. When we say to the lawyers, they did some red line, but just to pretend they were bringing value, there was nothing meaningful. Um, you know, <laughs> pri privacy policy, uh, our entire NIST uh, cybersecurity documentation was created by the bot based on the controls we fed it, um, and 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 you know all the G GDPR documentation was created by the bot. Um, barely changing a word, but again, it's how you do it that matters, right? If you just say you know write a policy and and, and that's it, that's that's not going to be good enough. We. Mm. trained you know sage on sage itself so he knows all the controls where he's hosted how we do mfa how we do all these different cyber things so it has all the context to be able to provide the right information 
I think what we find with the 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 issue with hallucinations and and uh, factual checks, I think the more you teach it about the the topic, the less likely it is going to be uh, hallucinating. And so, you know, I think it's all about training and how you know we, we tied it into APIs and databases and data lakes and knowledge bases. So now it's not just you know when you ask a question, it's tapping into these databases, pulling. The, the results and augmenting its own knowledge to be able to come up to better with better answers. And so, you know, I think it's going to be long-term a non-issue because the more, you, and, and by the way, we tap into Bing and Google. So when I say I don't use Google, it might be a little bit of a lie because Sage taps into Google to pull the results from Google, but I guess I'm not directly going to Google to Google stuff. So it's doing it for me. Um, but it's it's how you solve the problem of of the factual checks. That's smart. And it's, I wonder if Google ever saw this coming, right? I mean, I don't know that I ever imagined a day I wouldn't Google. But to your point, right now, Google just becomes an input, um, you know, to a much more which is terrible for the platform. ads. I mean, if you yeah. think back of how they make money, right? That killed their entire business yes. model, right? And that's very scary for Google. And so they so they actually launched, you know, uh, Google Bond, right? And so we have Google Bond, and that's also right? what's important for us when we built our sage is we wanted to be agnostic to the to the large language model and so we do have open right. ai but we also have you know google we have cohere we have open source models and when we train data what's very important for us is we train it so it's agnostic to the model so effectively you can ask questions right. to google about and then you move to open ai gpt 3.5 and 4 and you get the same knowledge base because we built it to be agnostic and i think that's a very important right. More importantly, we label data That's down really to the important. user level. And so each user has a label as labels, like data buckets, and then they can be shared across users so that uh, you know, not everybody see what you're doing, right? That's very important for privacy and and then intellectual right. property and cybersecurity to to limit who gets to see what and how. And so we built that. That was the foundation Absolutely. of Sage to to really prevent leakage of data. And I think that was really the most important thing we built. Tying back yes. to now APIs and databases and, and, and all this cool stuff. It, it's just mind-boggling what you can do because now you can automate a step-by-step decision tree and, you know, if this, do this and do that and do this. And it's able to effectively take a day of work and you can, you know, estimate how the human would behave and the body is capable right. of following the same steps. It's, it's pretty mind-boggling. It's kind of awesome. I mean, can I come back? To Google one more one more second though it's because this is my other question when you talk about ads though I mean if, if we're using Google Bar does that become like the next kind of invasive um, targeted ad platform? No, they right? have I mean, no choice but to do that, right? Some, I mean th- that's how they make right, money. I, mean, what's um, I don't know if people model, are going to like it, right? But. And you know, I think yeah, I mean that's the kind of stuff that makes me a little nervous because what you're probably asking, right, could be. Who knows what it could be, right? I mean, it, it could touch all facets of your your personal and work life. I mean, that's basically um, that you're already already doing it with Google, yeah. anyways. So they were already getting everything. You, if you look at the data points, yeah, there's true. a website actually. Um, uh, I forgot something.google.com, uh, but you can go and see all the data they're collecting, including all your geolocation on your phone and stuff. It's yeah, actually pretty scary. Your profile. Yeah, right, it's so it's, creepy. So they already up yeah. doing that now. You know. With a chatbot, you're you're probably gonna share more in, insights and more details on your life about your life and stuff. And then, by the way, if you start connecting all this stuff to your emails and your ca- calendar and your um, all everyday business decisions, life, I think that's that compounds the problem for sure. 
but that's why you know is it going to yeah. become a price um, uh, model where you pay 20 30 bucks a month but even if they do that it's not going to be able to to bring the revenue they were making with ads right so that's going to be interesting to see the, the valuation in, of google in 10 years you know exactly exactly but they have to regenerate themselves in a different form yeah and it's not easy when yeah, you I suddenly mean, go from is, a free guess, model to a to a paid model to a you know ads where always this like oh i'm not giving away anything you know um right. but you were it's you were selling your own soul but you didn't really realize it you know so <laughs> well, that sounds really awful when you say it like that but yeah it's, it's true. kind of what it is <laughs> you know right we gave up our privacy for convenience a very long time ago it was slowly and truly yeah. right it didn't you know that's they were very smart of doing it incrementally over time so people would pay less and less attention and then cyber events would happen more and more and data would be be leaked more and more and so you would be like well you know why do i care anyways i have nothing to hide and the more the more breaches the more your data is out there so you less the least you care and 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 now it compounds to the fact that you're giving away your privacy for free service and so it's it's a compounding factor it's interesting it so. really is. And so I'm really interested in, you know, your, you know, your company focuses on kind of government teams. And, you know, we talk about kind of applications, like different industry sector applications, right? Every single industry is going to be impacted by chat GPT. And they're all figuring out how do we harness it for productivity, right? So that we could do more, we could scale faster, things like that. And I think the government in particular has a lot of, I mean, a lot of very different considerations, right? Than let's say a PR agency or a marketing firm. And, um, you know, do you, do you see this helping like government teams move faster though? I mean, you always talk about the pace of, of government and, and how things get done. Is, is this going to accelerate what the government can do or, or help them, you know, get to outcomes faster, work more efficiently? I mean, where, where do we see some opportunities here within kind of public sector organizations? Yeah, and that's, that's the goal, right? I think uh, it's all about velocity and being able to compete against China. You know, I'm not too worried about Russia, but I'm pretty, very concerned with China. And and they already embraced GPT and they already brought it across their, their government use cases. And so that's even more scary because you're competing against, you know, uh, a lot of people and, and they're not lazy and, and they want to get it done. And they have, I guess, the the one side of, of communism that's a, a good thing is the, the fact that they... They can tell people what to do, and they have no choice. So you know they're getting a lot of data, a lot of insights, and a lot of work done. Right. So it's pretty scary for us, being a democracy and the good guys. Um, and so I wanted to give the best tools to get the job done, and and we demonstrated we can do that. We signed up about four thousand government teams in four months, which is pretty pretty unheard of, both on the DoD side, but also on the on the civilian side. And um, use cases are tremendous between. Intelligence gathering, summarization, creating content, writing, you know, bids, right. um, all the way to grading bids back when you get the response. Mm -hmm. We have contractors using it to respond to bids. It's kind of the full supply chain of, of acquisition. Um, and, you know, we got so much demand that, uh, uh, and back to the security aspect of what we built, we, we ended up also opening a NATO uh, region for, for Five Eyes and for uh, Europe. And then we also uh, opened a, a financial sector region because we got so much uh, um, mm -hmm. hedge funds and VCs and banks 
that wanted the same kind of security levels and the government would want it. And so we ended up expanding way more than we thought. Um, but really that helps us fund all the work we're doing on the, on the government side too. But, uh, you know, on the development side, it turns one person into 10. You know, we have a, a plugin now that, uh, effectively scans your SUS code repository and looks for improvements, both in terms of cyber and in terms of uh, performance and looks for cyber issues and creates a, a pull request in your, in your Git repo to uh, proactively propose changes that a human will review and he comments your code, documents your code. I, I hate writing documentation and so the bot is doing it by itself right. every night. So it's almost like getting a free audit of your source code every night. It's just a game changer on how you can automate what used to be multiple jobs, um, both on the, on the cyber side and the, de- the developer side and the uh, documentation side of the, of the house. And so, you know, you, you end up easily seeing a 10x increase of velocity, you know. But Nick, how are you actually keeping that data? What is sensitive data? Code is sensitive data. It's intellectual property and that sort of thing. You know, how are you keeping that safe? Like yeah. if, if we're kind of going, okay, do the scans for it. Awesome. Like we, we do have tools that do scanning um, on our codes today anyway, but you know, what happens with that data? Like, is how is it kind of uploaded, processed, and protected? Yep, that's the foundation of our sage that we built to uh, to prevent what you've seen in the news with you know Samsung giving data to ChatGPT and the data being trained into the model. So first, you know, we have a dedicated Azure OpenAI endpoint that's not the API that you know everybody is using to um, to use ChatGPT. We have a a special agreement with Microsoft where the data is not getting trained into the model, no human review of the queries and the prompts, no logs and telemetry. So there's nothing stored on a, on the Azure OpenAI side of the house. It's it's effectively what we call a, a fire and forget API, which, you know, you ask a question, you get a reply, and you forgot you even asked the question. Uh, all the data gets stored into our multi-tenant stack. We have also, you know, the option to have dedicated tenant for bigger organizations as well. So we can spin up a, a dedicated assage on a per customer basis as well. But most people use the multi-tenant version, you know, it's 30 bucks a month, it's pretty inexpensive. Um, it's hosted on Azure government, um, you know, for control and classified uh, information, CUI, which is, you know, the, the highest unclassified um, content uh, classification. And so, the data at rest is obviously encrypted. It's all vectorized into a vector database. And uh, each user has labels. We use zero trust as a foundation um, with multi-factor authentication and all the good stuff. And and then when, once you authenticate, you only get to see the data you trained and nobody else can see unless we share the data set to somebody else. And so that, that limits the exposure of data on a per user basis. And uh, the data is never used to train the model because if you fine-tune models with data, then you cannot control who gets to see what and how. And so mm. with us, because we add the data on top of the model, um, we don't fine-tune the data into the model. So it never gets into the model. And so we get to control who gets to see what and when. Yeah. That actually sounds very good, but it also means that your models will be a lot better in terms of if you're giving it relevant training sets. Because um, if you're just using general Google, which I think a lot of people are, a lot of um, 
AI tools are, there's the whole concept of garbage in, garbage out, where like if, if you want to find something, the opposites of it in what is supposed to be genuine facts on Google, you can find it. There's, there's no question about that, but this sounds a lot better approach. Yeah, and because we tap into live APIs and databases and data lakes, you know, one of them is Bing, one of them is Google, but then we tap into enterprise uh, knowledge uh, bases, uh, the bot is able to query. And funny enough, if I say, you know, show me how many users I have that uh, created an account in April 2023, the bot takes this plain text questions, converts it into a, a SQL query, runs a query uh, into the database, get the, res the reply back to the user seamlessly. So effectively, it's not it's not um, making it up. It's it's getting the insights real in real time. So when we, when we do weather data, uh, you ask, you know, what is the weather in the airport of of Dallas or whatever Virginia is gonna is gonna pull that FAA API. The bot knows the API is gonna query the API, get the reply back, and then convert the encoding of the weather into plain English, all all natively. Um, so in this case, we don't use the bot to decide what the weather is. We use the bot to query the API, and then we use the bot to convert the encoded uh, API result into plain text English. And so the bot is able to take all these encodings of you know pilot weather data into uh, you know the wind and wow. you know ice icing and whatnot. So that is to show you that the bot is not always used to make the answer up, it's actually in this case used to query the API to get the answer. So you cannot so, be wrong. So, <laughs> so tell me, um, have you had anyone trying to perhaps hack the bot or oh, yeah. have some oh, level yes. of control or influence? Oh yeah, everybody, every day. Um, <laughs> And there's different levels, right, of hacks. I mean, there's people trying to bypass some of the security we're putting. We had a lot of Chinese activity for months. We we worked with NSA and, and the IC to uh, to see what we could do with those. Um, you know, we we had you know a lot of pen tests done. Uh, look, there's there's also perfectly legitimate uh, use cases of of doing cyber offense um, legally. Uh, you, with okay. you know writing writing uh, code as well, um, but yeah, people trying to bypass some of the safety mechanisms we have, but we, we're not the the thought the thought police. You know, we we kind of hate anyone trying to limit free speech, and so we're, we're very um, very mu very much hands off when it comes to deciding what what is right or what is not. The customer decides how they use the platform. Um, they have to abide and follow the. The terms and conditions of each of the model we use. So OpenAI, they have their own uh, terms and conditions. You know, Google as well, and others. But then there's open source models where you can pretty much do whatever you want, uh, which is which is fine with us. You know, if if you're a paying customer, you decide what you want to do. Uh, we're not we're not here to tell you 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 cannot write a poem about Donald Trump or Joe Biden or whatever. You know. Uh, <laughs> That's that's not our job. We, we have we have done our experimenting a little bit with ChatGPT. So you may have seen, um, like either in the article or news stories in the press about a Forcepoint employee testing to see if they could use ChatGPT to build malicious code. Yeah, 
And admittedly, they started and and Chat GPT said it's unethical to build <laughs> malware, which is fair. So that works. So they decided instead to see if they could kind of generate kind of helper code, kind of snippets that they could then van- manually build together. And it was very successful yeah. at that. That what was nice though was that we actually also had um, the products to be able to defeat what they built, <laughs> which we did test. <laughs> Yeah, it's not surprising. I mean, you know, there's ways to go around these kind of baked-in security mechanisms that are pretty lightweight anyways. You know, um, the the models will go around that security and and you'll be able to uh, get to the outcome you want. In fact, you know, we have uh, DaVinci, which is the model behind GPT-3.5, which has none of the uh, ready limitations and bias also. Of GPT-3.5, also on the political side, um, and so there's always ways to go around the the system. The beauty for us when it comes to data privacy, though, is because we're not using an AI capabilities to decide who gets access to what and how. Um, so, like any any data set you ingest into the the bot, uh, all that knowledge base that is controlled in a in a traditional zero trust way, and not using AI to decide yes or no if you should have access to stuff and and so it's it's you know it's very unlikely someone will be able to tamper that um now they, they would be able to bypass some of the security mechanisms of the the large language models like oh it's not ethical to do x y and z that is very likely to be bypassed very easily uh, uh via you know pump engineering wow it's like you've thought of everything <laughs> Well, you know, that's kind of what we have to do when we work with a government, right, right. you know, we can't mess up. So, uh, uh, and you know, my, my brain is messed up. That's why I, I was always a good developer and cyber guy, because my brain always thinks of the, the, the malicious things. I, I would have been a good hacker, I guess. Yeah. But you have to think that way, right? I mean, it's otherwise, you, you know, otherwise, how are you going to have the holes in the system that you can plug up or, you know, kind of get ahead of? It's, it's like you have to think like a criminal to secure things that are legitimate today. It, it does help. It absolutely does yeah. help. Because I, I, when I got into technology, some of the first things I did was when I was testing new products, was like, how can I use this to f- do fraud or anything like that? And it, it's a really good yeah. perspective on how to look at it. Because if you don't look at it, someone else will. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, it's just foolish to think it's not going to happen and, it's not a matter of where, uh, of if, but when, pretty much. So exactly, exactly. Although hacking can be kind of lucrative, though. So too. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You know. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm really interested in your background, though. Too. I mean, you've obviously you started a lot of lot of companies. I mean, it's you're the ultimate entrepreneur, and I. I think it's so fascinating too that you spent some time in the U.S. Air Force, which is kind of. Um, it's almost like standing up a business or write a service organization as chief software officer in the Air Force. I mean, how does that come about? Because I, I imagine that's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, particularly for a French guy, you know. So obviously I'm American exactly. now, but, <laughs> you know, people would always wonder if I was allowed in the building, that's for sure. <laughs> I, I wonder myself sometimes, so, you know, I get it. Um, yeah, I, I think it's it's interesting how we kind of demonstrated that a, a small group of people can really impact the, the behemoth that is the, the DOD. You know, I think mm-hmm. there's a tremendous level of waste of taxpayer uh, money and uh, 
you know, unfortunately, you're dealing with a lot of bureaucracy and, and people that have yet to really understand what it takes to succeed and compete in the, in the modern world. And, and so we're so complacent and so used to, to leading that we've let, you know, China slowly and surely take the lead on, on many of the key sectors that are going to define whether or not we're going to win with our kids 20 years from now against China, you know, including in hypersonic and quantum compute and, and AI and, and many other fields that, you know, like swarming drone technologies where we spend, you know, a lot of money uh, to build exquisite weapon systems that are very expensive and and uh, very good, but but get stolen and, and their IP get, uh, you know, hacked and, and stolen by China uh, at a, a hundreds of or thousands of the cost. Um, and then you see China building the, the equivalent to F-35. It's kind of the the crappier version of it, but but still, you know, they, they save a lot of time and, and money in in building it. And so, you know, we, we live in a world where uh, a lot of the next generation uh, while fighting would be a, a different uh, way of, of fight. And uh, it, it's probably not yeah. going to be these fancy weapon systems. It's going to be cyber. It's going to be... You know, um, mm -hmm. and, and by the way, we're doing very good in, in cybersecurity, particularly in offense, but we're doing very poorly right. in defense. And so, you know, yeah. very established that if China decides to go after Taiwan, the first thing they would do is take down 40% of the grid, which would take 100% of the grid, uh, US grid down. And then, you know, we have no communication mechanisms. Um, right. and, and effectively, we, you know, all the, the tasks we've done. And the Pentagon would, would demonstrate within 24 hours we have no communication at all, uh, which you know effectively you lost you lost everything at that point. Um, very difficult to succeed when communication is gone, and so there's a lot right. of fear. And and you know, I did my best for for three and a half years to um, show all the key um, concepts we need mm -hmm. to embrace in agility and and you know the the velocity of work and uh, you know, the, getting rid of that complacency we, we're facing and kind of the, the self-sustained mm -hmm. bubble of, of clearances and, and the government being in this, uh, you know, there's kind of two bubbles, right? We have the Silicon Valley bubble that I call the Kumbaya bubble. And then we have the complacency bubble with the DOD. And ideally, we want to merge <laughs> bo both of them and, and pop them so we have a fighting chance at winning against China 20 years from now, you know. <laughs> That's that's a big, big tall ask to get there, but not impossible. Well, I think if we were not, you know, continuing to overclassify how bad the situation is against China and particularly all the IP theft and all the stuff they do, including right. having, you know, a police force in New York City and other other cities in the United States, and we start opening up more. And you've seen the FBI director and other agencies start to talk a little bit more openly about the aggression that China have been doing for the last, you know, 20 years already, but at a much broader scale, no days. And people start to realize kind of the ex 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 existential threat that is China to our nation. Right. I think people would want to proactively come and make a difference and engage with the government. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of startups refuse to do business with duty. Of course, in, in China, the CCP is not giving the companies a choice. And so they have access to best of breed. So while you know U.S. companies might be leading in some of these fields we mentioned, the fact is the government does not have access to the best of breed capabilities in the United States because the U.S. companies refuse to do business with DoD, and so 
you know, China has, even if they're they're lagging behind a little bit on the commercial side, uh, the government side has access to the best of breed of their country, and so which is much better than what we have. And so, you know, that mm-hmm. makes it pretty difficult to compete. Yeah, that's a great point. Absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of that comes down to the whole privacy aspects that, I mean, there are reasons why GDPR came up in, you know, the UK and Europe yeah. and that side of things, and that there are companies within the US who support that as well in terms of to do business with EMEA in the UK. But I think the concerns most of the time are over privacy when it comes to businesses not wanting to work with governments. But do you see it differently? Yeah, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding also on 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 the weapon side and you know, I I I would I would do conferences and you would always have a few people at the end of the conference, you know, shake my hand and whatnot. And, and there would always be like a few uh, waiting in line all to tell me that uh, they won't shake my hand because, you know, I have blood on my hands from the kids that the Jets are killing or whatnot. And it's the same people that enjoy the freedom, you know, through the sacrifices of the warfighter. And they live in the Kumbaya bubble of the Silicon Valley where they have no clue what's going on in the world. And they've never traveled much and they don't know how bad it is in other nations. And Particularly when they're born, it's funny how, you know, the kids born in the United States are even more, you know, clueless, probably because of the infiltration of our schools by China, by the way, which is orchestrated, you know, to to effectively start creating hate of the nation and the flag and, and everything else we stand for. And it's it's it, that's something you would not see in many other nations. It's it's another piece of the the, the how small China is. When it comes to creating, um, you know, this uh, global warfare concept that that is way beyond weapons, uh, purely uh, ethical slash you know psychological driven uh, warfare, and and that's that's very scary. That they're very uh, they they play the long game and they don't have to lose any anybody. And you know, you have generals in China openly discussing that they would be okay losing a hundred and forty million. Chinese if it was to win back Taiwan, you know, and that's pretty scary, you know, when you hear that. Agreed, agreed. So um, it's been absolutely brilliant having the conversation all around privacy and where things are going with AI. But I wanted to ask, because you had a really good load of stats at the beginning of this discussion of all the different businesses that you've run and the number of different solutions that you've launched. What do you actually consider to be your your some of your greatest cybersecurity achievements out of your career? Uh, well, I think that was probably when we brought zero trust, you know, with Google back into uh, the government back in 20, uh, 2016 uh, at DHS, where I built the first and the largest zero trust implementation. Uh, in the government, um, and I, th- I think it still is today, um, you know, really embracing the real zero trust, not just the gimmick stuff that everybody else, you know, brought after it decided to become a, a buzzword, you know, but uh, I think, you know, embracing that move away from the perimeter defense and embracing zero trust was uh, probably the biggest achievement we- we've done. And, and then, of course, we put... You know, Kubernetes and DevSecOps on jets and bombers and space systems and uh, even nuclear systems. And I think some of these systems will be running for 70 years. So it's kind of interesting to see some of my work, you know, and my team's work 
uh, lasting for 70 years. That's pretty fun. That's awesome. That's crazy. <laughs> we also we also put Kubernetes on U2 jets and F-16s and kind of demonstrated we could do it on legacy hardware and uh, you know do over-the-air update while flying the jet with no impact to the airworthiness of the aircraft and be able to update AI components while flying the jet using containers. Uh, that was never been done before. It's kind of a Tesla of, of, of jets, and, and that was pretty cool. Absolutely. That's exciting. It kind of makes me ask, like, what's next for you, too? Like, uh, after this whole Ask Sage thing, like, uh, what, where, where are you going to put your, your next um, sites? Uh, to, well, Sage is my next one. Well, you know, I mean, it took me 18 months yeah. after, after leaving the government to get excited about something. So that tells you that. Sure. You know, it, it was pretty tough for me moving, you know, from jets and space systems and nuclear stuff and like, oh, I'm not going to do a freaking mobile app, you know. Uh, and so, you know, it was painful a little bit to find something to get me excited yeah. enough. And, uh, you know, GPT and Sage and all the stuff we're doing there is is kind of very nascent. And I think it's going to evolve into something pretty, pretty exciting. And I think, you know, it, it got me excited enough to create a company which should tell you that the bar is pretty high already. So that's that's a lot of cool stuff, yeah. you know, so. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm excited. I I don't think things are going to be remotely similar like in the next, I don't know, 10 years, maybe 5 years even, Nick. I don't know what do you think? I mean with with the, the uh, it's going to be completely different. Completely yeah. different. Um yeah. and I think, you know, the biggest thing for people to pay attention to is self-learning and investing in yourself and uh, you know, um spending an hour a day to learn. You know, people spend an hour a day on freaking TikTok. First delete it and remove it, remove it from your your device, but, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, just invest right. in yourself and learn, I think it's going to be key in it. We, the velocity is increasing such that, you know, it used to be 20 year cycle, 10 year, then five year. Now I think we're less than a year cycle of, of innovation and yeah. you become obsolete within a year and it's, it's just unsustainable. But, uh, if you're not passionate, you know, you should probably pick a different job because, you know, it's, it's very Agreed. tough to reinvent yourself if you don't have passion. And uh, it becomes too stringent and too difficult and too painful to keep up. And there's other other jobs where you don't have to do that. And uh, you know, if you don't have the passion, you should probably not be in IT anymore. You know. Absolutely. I I think when it comes to doing a career, you should always have passion in what you do. Otherwise, there's no point getting out of bed in the morning. That's right. That's right. Hundred <laughs> percent. Um, well, I love it. This has been so wonderful, Nick, having you on our podcast. I just, you know, really appreciate all the great insights. And I, I love the closing message to invest in yourself because I think a lot of people forget that. I mean, to your point, they get caught up, you know, in the day to day or your TikTok and you don't realize how much time you are losing just on things that don't matter. Right. And when you start kind of cutting those out and, and focusing that time in a different way can have a, a huge impact on your life and kind of what you enjoy doing and get out of life. So I, I love that message very much. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. It was great. Thanks yeah. for having me for sure. So, definitely. I, I'd love to circle back maybe a nine months, a year sure. and see Let's how far it. things have changed because I think it's going to be a completely the world would have changed. different conversation. That's right. That's right. <laughs> exactly. I'm no so doubt. excited to see where that takes us. <laughs> exactly. And and Nick, thank you for being my first like very iconic person to start with on co-hosting the podcast. It's been brilliant. No, thanks for having me. This was Absolutely. a lot of fun. Awesome. All right. So to all of our listeners out there, thank you so much for joining us this week. And again, welcome Audrey to the podcast. 
we've got we got a lot of a lot of fun stuff ahead, but I can't think of a better way to kick off your first show. So Nick, Audrey again, thank you so much. And until next time, everybody, stay secure. Thanks for joining us for the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher.